And we're back. We are here. Let's to, talk about God. To talk about God. I like headphone thing is like it's like pulling my head off. Well, we don't want that to happen. We don't want that to happen. We won't, don't need a headless student pastor here going around the church. That could freak people out. I know. Headless horseman. If it wasn't for your neck, you'd lose your head. I know. Oh, I said that. <laughs> it's it's not wrong. That's true. <laughs> so what's been happening? I don't know. I'm on my third cup of coffee this morning. This is decaf, though. So Just I tell you a story. I went down to a place where we like to fish. I hate to tell it because people might want to start going there. Just don't describe it in detail. And uh, we, we go to the, it's on the coast near Charleston. Yeah, I got you. And uh, we love to surf fish and usually we're fishing for sharks. And so we were down there uh, and on Thursday, uh, me and two other guys were fishing. We had four rods in about like two to three hours, I guess, somewhere in there in that span of time. We caught 45 sharks. That's crazy. The rods just kept going off. It was like this school of sharks had got in this, and the yeah. beach, right? And, and you're fighting them in the surf. It, they're so much. They fight. And, uh, you know, they were like two feet long or whatever, um, two and a half, whatever. But they just three feet. But we just kept catching them. It was just, we counted them. We started counting them. And it was like, I'd get one shark off of one rod and the other rod. Oh, and you're so, running down there. Oh, it was just, it was a blast. And then the next day, we caught like 10 or 15, and they were bigger. Like I caught a four and a half foot yeah. shark. Of course, one time I caught a seven foot shark. Really? Now that's yeah. big. Yeah. That it was is. there on, yeah. that, on that beach. So uh, that was pretty cool. That was one of my more exciting things that happened. Do you have to be careful when you pull them in? Like, can they bite you? Can oh, they get yeah, you? they can bite you. Oh, yeah, especially the bigger ones. Uh-huh. And it's it's this process. So I have these kneeling those pliers that are longer, and uh, and you get you get it beached, and then you get in behind it, and, of course, they're slapping their tail, You and that, that can hurt. And you, you take your left hand, you just get on. It's like an alligator almost. Mm-hmm. You just get on top of them, behind them, and just put your hand down real hard behind them where you're just kind of pressing them down. And then you take those pliers and you're trying to work that big hook out. It's like a 10-aught hook, and and you're trying to get that thing out. And that's always the hairy moment because your hand's right there next to their mouth and the hooks, it's hard to get it out. And you're turning it, you know, trying to get it. And um, that's, always the, that's always the hairy part. And I, if it's a big one, like five, six foot or big, you know, like mm-hmm. that, usually... I mean, you can do it one person, but usually want help. if you get another person, you know, well, usually what I'll do, I'll get like the other person, I'll get behind them, like an alligator. I get behind them and I just take both my hands and just clamp down on them. Yeah. Right behind their head and just hold it. Mm-hmm. Just try to hold them down while the other person's working to get the hook out. And, uh, and then you got to get them back in the surf. And I imagine if they bit you on that artery right there, you might uh, wind up in critical condition. Oh, no. <laughs> Yes, it would be critical. <laughs> it would be critical. I, you, you always find a way. That one was oh, that was lame. But it was not lame. It was uh, it was it was lame. Three. Well, what are we at? Three minutes and forty seconds. I did kind of race to get there. You did get to that. So, okay. So we probably need to go ahead and jump into this one day. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do the intro to this one today. So while you're over there laughing about your critical. So in society right now, there is a hot topic 
called critical theory, and part of critical theory is critical race theory, mm-hmm. and it is a it is a hot topic. And one of the reasons it's a hot topic, and we want to address it today, is because it is being pushed to be taught in schools. That's one reason. And so there are schools that are embracing this and bringing it into the part of the curriculum so that now children are going to be indoctrinated with critical race theory, CRT or critical theory, and uh, which is more encompassing. And the other reason is because there are pastors that are embracing critical theory and critical race theory and preaching it from their pulpits and doing blogs and podcasts and and it's on the internet. So it's getting out there and people are curious as to what is this? What is critical theory? What is critical race theory? And should I believe it? Is it, does it, is it compatible with, with, the, scriptures? The, with the scriptures of the Bible? So that's what we want to tackle today. Yeah. And so we're going to get into some really deep stuff. This is probably yeah. one of the hottest topics we've ever done. And it's a little like off for us. Usually we stick to like theology proper and we usually get into culture and philosophy. So it's a little different. We're a little, we're mixing it up a bit. Mixing it up a little bit today. And uh, I want to do some caveats or do some things here on the front end. Um, and I'm going to say things that I would, we never have had to say before. You and I are not racist. Oh, no. At all, remotely. Um, yes, we're both white males, but that's what we're going to talk about today. That's critical theory and critical race theory is um, we are not racist. Uh, I have members in my church that are black, that are Latin American, Latinos, uh, that are, they are my friends. They are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. We laugh together. We eat together. They're my family. Mm-hmm. They're my church. We're family. Okay. I don't have to say that. Um, don't normally make a big deal of this, but I have on staff with me, and I'm so honored, a man who's African-American, Pastor Terrence Ford. Great pastor. Who is a great, and he he's is, like the first person all of our new members see because he, he runs our growth track. He runs our growth track and does body life and is just so a phenomenal, good. sharp, great preacher, fills in for me, you, either you or Terrence, and I never have to worry because he's a fun, church planner, veteran pastor, yeah. and he's my friend. Mm-hmm. He and Deidre are, are friends dear friends to me and Leah. So um, he said, well, why are you doing all these caveats? Because we're going to talk about things today that are going to smack of race. It's going to talk about race and and because that's not for us, but because that's critical race theory. Mm -hmm. So things we're going to say today are things that we're just going to have to address because it's part of the critical race theory material. So, but we, we don't ever want it to come across as if we're, racist or being you know we're we're not sensitive to racism there is racism uh that's in people's hearts i believe racism is a sin of the individual okay and that it's a sin like any other sin and it's a horrible sin mm-hmm. okay so you believe that i believe that our church believes that um are there people who are racist yes are there people who call themselves christians but have the sin of racism yeah. yeah, yeah, they can call themselves Christians, but th- th- that's a that's the issue they need to deal with. They yeah. need to feel convicted over it. Okay, so um, these are all things. Anything we need to add? Um, we, we certainly believe in biblical justice. 
I mean, we should not have racist laws on the books. We should certainly fight for justice. We should fight. I'll use the term, we should fight for social justice. I really do believe that. But uh, all of that defined correctly. All of that correctly defined by the by the scriptures, by the Bible. Which um, dictates our lives. Yeah. And if you're a believer, the Bible dictates your life. Absolutely. We run everything through the filter of the Bible. And Christians in the past have been um, some of the greatest advocates and leaders for social change, for social equality, for sending up for people who are made in the image of God. I mean, we are all aboard that. And when you hear what we describe today— you may even think some of these caveats are funny because we're just today. What we're describing is so bizarre in my brain. The philosophy is so bizarre. It's hard to believe our world has latched onto it, but still we want to be extremely clear where we stand, where we stand. And yet we're, we're scared. Maybe that's a bad word. We're deeply concerned Concerned, for America and for the church. Mm -hmm. That's our, where we're coming with this. Because this is becoming integrated into culture, into society, and it's not what we believe. It's not, it doesn't flow from God. It's not, it does not sync with God and his word. It is, it is a false, and and we're going to get into this. It's a religion Mm -hmm. and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but there are a lot of people, secular and preachers. Am I right? Mm-hmm. You and I have been reading material, secular people. I mean, one guy, one book you you've read, and I'm reading. The one of the authors is an atheist. Yeah, <laughs> they're not. They're, they hate critical theory. They hate. They hate, and they call it a religion. Yeah, they for say sure. it's a religion, and they're not even religious people for sure. But they said this is a religion, and a guy I've read that's really influenced me today on this is um, Vadi Bakum. Think I think that's how you pronounce I think his, last his name. name. And, and uh, so I'm going to be sharing some of his material today, and he says it is a cult. Mm-hmm. He calls it a religious uh-huh. cult, and I'm going to show you some things today. He has really laid this thing out, and he's he's a black man, African-American, and uh, it's powerful, just yeah. some of the power. So anyway, let's talk about it. Where does this come from, Evan? So this really, before you talk about critical theory, you have to go back to what? You have to go to uh, postmodernism. So what is postmodernism? That may be a brand new term to a lot of our listeners. So before I get going, I want you to know the two resources we used is a book called Cynical Theories by uh, that I used. Uh, uh, Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay, I think, yep. is that. And then uh, second is a website and a series of blog posts by a Christian. So those are non-Christians. By a Christian named Neil Shinvey. Um, and that's something you can access for free right now. Just Google Neil Shinvey. And then the other is a book by non-Christians. So obviously there are going to be some words and some things in there we disagree with, but that gives you a very accurate picture of critical theory. And then Vadi Bauckham, who is a pastor. That's right. And, and I haven't read his book, but I hear it's good. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. And it is, he does a fantastic yeah. job of dealing with this and really covers all, a lot of really what we're going to talk mm. about. It begins with postmodernism and go, okay, so, um, what's bef- postmodernism? Before I get going as well, I just want to like preface this. If you listen to this podcast, you know it's long. We get into deep subjects. We're not afraid of that. But this is a little bit different. It's just different than what we usually do. We're talking about philosophy. So I just want to encourage you, put your seatbelt on, get ready. We're going to do our best to give you the whole history of this and then speak about what Christianity has to say about it. All right? Yeah, so, so like good. first... 10, 15, 20 minutes where we got to just give you a good background ready. and yeah. then we're going to show you how it applies to your faith. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about 
this. So basically, like you said, this is the pond we're all swimming in. Um, this is kind of ingrained in our culture. Uh, if if you've looked at anything, you see our culture uh, has an obsession with categories of people and, and putting those people into categories, race, sex, gender, um, all that stuff. It's the pond we're swimming in. Um, and it's called critical theory. So let me give you the background where this all comes from, and it'll make a little bit more sense. So it all begins um, with postmodernism, which is a reaction to modernism. So modernism, so think late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, Came out of the Enlightenment. Yeah. Pessimistic view of religion, um, didn't think we needed it. It held on to a certainty of truth found through the scientific method. So as long as we can research it, touch it, feel it, study it, empirical, we're, we're going to find the empirical truth. Empirical evidence, that's truth. Held on to tradition as, uh, in many ways, something that's still good, that's still helpful. It's worked for humanity in certain areas. Let's do it. Um, modernism valued things like science, um, individual liberty, have the freedom to do and say what you want. Uh, the freedom to live according to one's values and convictions, um, using reason, logic, thinking through things. It was very optimistic about the capability of humanity to accomplish things and get things done. But here's where postmodernism comes in. Postmodernism became skeptical of modernism, so focused on science, reason, logic, um, the ability of humanity to accomplish after two world wars. So basically, you've got all this scientific advancement, you've got medical advancement, technological advancement, you've got promises um, from scientists that we're going to solve all the issues, we're going to fix diseases, you've got, um, in people's eyes, promises from the church, hey, you've got hope, we're, we're going to do great things, you've got promises from politicians, just listen to us, we're going to make everything all right, um, you've got all of these promises, all of these scientific advances, science is going to fix everything, and then it all comes crumbling down. Humanity and their reason is still not the answer because after all these advances, it was used to uh, dominate Europe by Hitler. It was used to perform horrible, heinous crimes against Jewish folks. So people reacted against that, That's which right. is called postmodernism. Postmodernism. And they just went against the opposite of all those things. That's right. And so uh, once they became skeptical of humanity, basically being able to know the truth for sure and solve all of our issues, um, they developed into postmodernism. It happened over a number of years, but we can basically boil postmodernism down into two principles and four themes. Okay. So the two principles are the postmodern knowledge principle and the postmodern political principle. And then the four themes are the blurring of boundaries, the power of language, cultural relativism, and the loss of the individual and universal. So what's the postmodern knowledge principle? This is the belief that objective truth is absolutely impossible to find. You can't know it. Instead, each method of knowing provides maybe a small kernel of the truth, but it can't give you the truth. So let me give you an example. The scientific method is only one way of knowing rather than the best way of knowing. Or the scriptures are only a way of knowing rather than the best way of knowing. And so there's no way that I can actually pull the objective truth from science, so what's really true, or from the scriptures. It's just a method of trying to get at it, but it's always in vain. Um, So this is called cultural constructivism. Basically, what we're able to regard as true is based on our cultural framework that we've been given. So here's what I mean. The people in power say science is the best method. The only way now that I believe I can reach truth is through science because the people in power told me I have to believe that. 
or the people in power, the majority in America are Christians. They tell me the only way to gain spiritual truth is from the Bible. So now as someone who's grown up in that country, I'm conditioned to believe the Bible is true, not because it actually is, but because the people in power said so. Does that make sense? So we move on to that. So then we've got, we're we're still working on the postmodern knowledge principle. Um, It doesn't deny that objective truth exists. It basically denies that we can possibly know it because of all of our cultural biases and assumptions that we've basically been conditioned and told and taught to believe certain things. And because of that, we'll never uncover the real truth. We're all just conditioned by our American culture or our Christian culture or our male culture or whatever culture you're going to believe these things are true, even though they're not. Um, yeah, I, I saw a, a, a cartoon today where it said if Columbus and Galileo were on uh, social media and it had uh, Columbus saying, I've been banned because I said the, the earth is round. Yeah. And Galileo <laughs> said, I've been banned because I said the earth revolves around the sun. And that's, that's yeah. our point is that's that's been proven that's true that the earth is round it's true that the earth revolves around the sun but in this postmodernism i can say well you say that because you know you have like flat earthers yeah like that's one example that's probably kind of on the fringe but you have people say no i don't believe that i believe that i believe that there's that it that's one way of knowing things but but uh, I'm, I'm choosing not to believe even if it's objective and it's like everybody and that's what makes this so radical because it's like for the normal average person like us, it's like, what's this wrong? This is pretty clear. What's wrong with y'all? It's like, yeah. this is the way it is. That's right. But that's how wacky these people are. Yep. So it's mainly influenced by a guy named Foucault, a French philosopher who coined the term power knowledge. So basically, he believed power dominated the ways of knowing. So like science, the Bibles, the Bible reason, which dominated how a culture can know things. So he basically said, uh, we can't know objective truth, all knowledge, everything what people believe is local to that individual person, but there's no way they can believe it. And here's where, once we get to the second half, it begins to really make sense. So postmodern thought states that you can only believe certain things that are true or moral because of the dominant power of the day. So those who are in power are the oppressors. Those not in power are seen as oppressed and good. The ones in power aren't letting the oppressed define truth. So this is the political principle now. This is the political principle. So you did the knowledge principle. Now the political principle is stating that people in power are the oppressors. So basically, there's no way we could possibly know objective truth. There are only different ways of knowing, but they're conditioned by those in power. So science is not objectively the best way to uncover physical things about the world. The only reason I believe that is because people in power told me to believe that. So science doesn't validate itself to give me objective, rational truth. It doesn't validate its own claims. It's just a tool of the politicians or the government or the church. It's a tool for those who benefit from me believing that. So for instance, white Western men are seen as those in power in America. White Western men believe science is the best way to uncover truth, and that benefits them. Therefore, those in power tell me this is the way to know truth because in some mysterious way, it benefits them and gives them power. But it's not really true, even though technically it is true, it is right, 
but we're creating they're creating this world where yes. they're doubting because it's always about doubting the knowledge and it's always yes. about putting doubt on the people in, who are in power, people who are in, because in leadership. Because the idea is that we're not searching for real truth. It's people in power maintaining their power. What a skeptical it's, way. It's to, super. That's why the book is called Cynical Theories. Cynical, skeptical. So it's I, I can never accept a knowledge claim or a truth claim because no one is asserting the truth for the truth's sake. It's, a, it's all a power grab. But is it interesting that, now, when they use facts and figures and exactly. data, then it's okay, but you can't use fact. That's what I've learned. You can't use facts and data and figure from objective because they question you, but then they'll exactly. turn around and they'll use it and it's okay. They're exactly. hypocrites. That's exactly what it is. So basically they believe that the powerful, so those who are powerful in society, and this is where it gets crazy, both intentionally and unintentionally organize society to benefit them and perpetuate power. It doesn't have to be one person or institution doing it on purpose. They believe it's a social system with inherent power dynamics. Here's what that means. You and I sitting at this table are white Western men. We don't go around consciously saying, how can I oppress someone not like me? So we don't think consciously, how can I oppress women? How can I oppress minorities? How can I oppress LGBTQ? But every Poor people, yeah, just, every decision yeah. we make naturally, whether we think it through at all, is a decision to take power from those groups and keep it from ourselves. So our Christianity, our preaching the Bible is not necessarily because we're thinking through I hate gay people or or you know whatever else and I need to keep power, but it's inherent, built into us, even if it's unconscious that we do what we do because we get to take power from those people and stay on top of society. Again, that's pretty pretty yes. skeptical. So um Basically, you know, we've mentioned it before, science is a system of knowing set up by white Western men, which perpetuates their own power. Um, so anyways, now we'll move on to the four themes. These are the four responses of postmodernism. And when we get into critical theory, uh, it's basically all this just kind of slightly adapted. That's why we're spending so much time on postmodernism, because cynical or excuse me, critical theories is just a slight adaptation. So it's the applic- it's applied. It's postmodernism applied. is dead. Yes. We need to say that. So all this we're telling you is dead, but what's not dead is what's called applied postmodernism. Which is critical theory. It, postmodernism was sort of more in the realm of theory and mm-hmm. and thought process, but activists took postmodernistic principles and themes yep. and applied them. And that's what worries you and me because now they're trying to apply it to the church, they're trying to apply it to schools, they're trying to apply it to our society or we're going to get there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're, yeah, exactly. So let's look at the four themes, the four responses. So uh, the first is the blurring of boundaries. So here's what that means. If we're going to challenge those in power, then the boundaries of long held beliefs have got to be blurred. So if objective truth can't be known and then people in power determine what we need to believe, basically we're going to blur the boundaries that they've set for us to try and take their power for them. So here's an instance. The idea is that those in power have forced us to believe there are only two genders for their own power grab to keep dominance over other people. So to prove that they've basically made that up, that's not objective truth. They've only told us that to keep their power. We'll blur the boundaries and we'll come up with three genders and then four genders and then 10 
and then 20. So instead of male and female, this is where, and so this applies to y'all. Y'all hear so much about the transgender and yes. college sports, whether they're going to let a, a transgender yeah. male participate in the women's sports. And we're already seeing that. And of course, then that person's blowing out winning because the because they can't compete. You know, the women can't compete. That, see, that's what I'm talking about. This is stuff we're living right now. So the idea is basically you've told me there are two genders um, because you want to keep power. So I'll just challenge it and come up with my own. Right. And uh, and so it, it's a way of taking that power from back from them and saying, well, we'll just show you. It's It's really a game. So then you got the power of language. This is the most confusing. So language is to see, is seen to have an enormous control over society and is dangerous. So like Jacques Derrida, uh, Derrida introduced the concept of deconstruction. He denies that words have any straightforward meaning, but only have meaning in relation to other words and how those words differ. It's really confusing. So for example, this is a big deal with him though. Man isn't a straightforward word. It, it doesn't have a straightforward meaning. Man can only mean something in opposition to woman and then is therefore superior in some way. Yeah, somehow because you have man and woman, they want to say that if there's man, but then you have to have an opposite, which is woman, then you're trying to say, which nobody says that because yeah, there's man and woman, strange. that man automatically means better no, than or superior. Yeah. Nobody thinks that. It's, it's just you yeah. got two man, woman. That's what the normal average person. But these people are trying to take all this. That's why you got the what? The she, her. They, them, they, them. Pronouns. Yeah, that's now you'll see on people's Instagram or Twitter, and it's like, what are you? Mm-hmm. But anyway, see, see, y'all, this is where we live. Yeah, we're trying to. I'm going to keep throwing this stuff in to say this is happening. Yes, I'm thinking Demi Lovato. Didn't she just? Yeah, she's. She's. Should I say she's crazy? You, you probably shouldn't say. That. I shouldn't say that. She has. She has issues. I'll say that. So the power of language. Language they say is not a reliable way to communicate reality to others. So they say the speaker's meaning or in, or intention has no more authority than the hearer's interpretation. So basically the hearer can willfully misinterpret you and there's nothing you can do about it because there's equal authority given to the person what they were intending to say and then the person listening to it. So then we've got cultural relativism. That's the third theme. So postmodernism, postmodernism suggests that no one set of cultural norms can be said to be better than others. Because remember, no one has access to the truth. They only have various ways of knowing. So basically, it is wrong to assert I found the objective truth and therefore my way of knowing is better than yours. So for instance, it would be wrong to assert that me in Western society who has the scriptures and who has advanced science has a better way of constructing society and drawing the truth than an isolated tribe of on cannibals. an island, island of cannibals. Who eat people, and yes. we say, oh no, but that's what they do, and that's just as valid as exactly. what you believe, what they believe is... Because no one has access to the real truth yeah. anyway, so it's arrogant to think that I have. And, and again, you all can see where we're going with this. We're just trying yes. to do it, but because some of you right now are going... Yeah, but the Bible says, I can hear some of you right now do, yeah, but the Bible says, that's the point. Yes. That's what we live by. And I know right now you're going, no, 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 no. But the Bible says, see, that's the, that's where this thing is going to, this is becoming, this is a crisis because that's going to be the thing is society is saying, oh, this is this. And we're going, no, Mm -hmm. we have an authority 
And we don't think that our truth is as equal to God's truth. We submit to God's truth, not because he's a power player, but because he's a good God and he's, he created us. And yep. okay. I'm, I see. I'm just on oh, my brain's just spinning right now. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. We got to lay the foundation. So that's cultural relativism. And the last theme is the loss of the individual and the universal. So the concept of an individual person, which is really, really big in modernism, uh, go read the founding fathers of America. It's, it's very big life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for each person. That's right. It's guaranteed to each person. Yeah. It's gone. Inalienable so, rights. An individual is now just a product of cultural relativism. So what I mean is there's no Evan. There's no Chris. There's no you listener. What I become is nothing more than a product of straight, white, Christian, conservative male. I'm nothing more than a conglomerate of what my society has forced me to be. So I have no individual original thought or values. There are just or groups, institutions, and structures. That's right. That's all there is. I'm there's not no, an individual. There's not an individual. And then it also gives up the idea of a universal. So there's no universal truths about human nature, about what's right and what's wrong, or even about human rights. So this is where it directly smacks against you as a Christian. So yeah. Because you have to say, yes, there, because we believe the Bible is a source of absolute moral truth. That's right. Not a source of truth. It is the source of what God says is right is right. What God says is wrong is wrong. And it doesn't matter what anybody says. That's just the way it is because he's God. So what it does is it gets rid of like a, um, because you can't, no one has access to universal truth. Basically, I can't say all people are made in the image of God because I don't have access to truth. Uh, I can't say that this is universally correct behavior or universally right or wrong because I don't have access to objective truth and so forth and so on. You can't even make statements about human rights anymore because of that. So um, basically, postmodernism focuses on small local groups as the producers of knowledge. Um, So basically, it focuses on people who are positioned in the same way, like race, sex, or class. And and that's why we're hearing from them. And that's what we hear. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's what we hear. So it's always about sex. It's always about race. It's always about your class of what people you are. That's what we hear in the news. That's what we're reading all the time. It's what... This is why. And those are the people, the reason they focus on them is those are the people uh, who are seen as being oppressed in the oppressed class. By the people in power. Yep. So now that we've got that out of the way, let me very quickly, let's figure out how this applies to what's now called critical theory. We needed to spend some time on that um, to lay the foundation. So what is critical theory? Postmodernism eventually became boring. Because if you take it to his logical extreme, which the original philosophers did, if nobody can know the truth, there can be no social change. I can't assert that anybody needs to change their morals or behavior or anything because, once again, nobody, including the philosophers, have access to objective moral truth. But eventually, people wanted to take these theories and use them for social change and what they would call social justice. So it is critical critical theory. Um, Theory mutated to critically examine public discourses to basically uh, expose the corrupt political power dynamics. And disrupt them. Yeah. And disrupt them. So they would look at, uh, you know, straight white Christian males have the most power in society. We recognize that's wrong and we need to blow them up. So what the new postmodern Not literally, but yeah. yeah. Or the critical theorist, they didn't reject objective truth wholesale, like 100%. They accepted just enough 
of objective truth to be able to use it for their causes and for their power. So basically, they can assert objective moral claims about power, who has it, who can have it, and how it affects those people who are being oppressed. So they have a small category of things they honestly, objectively know. And so they demand, we need to disrupt those people who have all that power to give the power back to the oppressed classes uh, in certain race and, and other categories. So they began to focus on race, gender, and sexuality and use it for their own moral causes. And those are the three. Say that again. Race, gender, sexuality. Yes. Those are the three. That is that interesting? Those are fundamental baseline concepts, and they're trying to blur the lines mm-hmm. and and ch- ch- yeah. Anyway, okay, go, keep going. So then, basically, they started to say that there are objectively real categories, categories that aren't totally made up, like like race, sex. Sometimes gender, people with disabilities, people uh, who are obese, right? You really are those things so that you can really be oppressed for being actually those things. Does that make sense? So um, basically, these postmodern principles are applied to critical theory. They're applied to them now. So here's the postmodern knowledge principle applied. So this is characterized by radical skepticism about objective knowledge or truth and all of those things. But there's one important proviso identity and oppression based on our identity are known features of reality. Then you've got the postmodern political principle. That's a belief that society is formed by systems of power and hierarchies, which decide what can be known and how they can be known. We already talked about that, but something shifts here. Now we've got what's called standpoint epistemology. And let me explain it. Those in oppressed classes can see the objective truth in a way that the oppressors, blind by their inherent whiteness, straightness, Christianness, cisgenderness, cannot. So they've altered it. Before, nobody had access to truth and people in power told you what you can believe and how you can believe that and why you can believe it to maintain power. Now, if you're in an oppressed class, so if you're a woman, if you're gay, if you're black, if you're whatever, you now have a unique insight into objective reality because you're the oppressed class with no power. Your own meta-narrative, your own story, and out of your meta-narrative and your own story, you have your own truth. And it's impossible for those with power to be able to see it because they're blinded by their own inherent desire and biases. to take power from other people and, and their, preserve it from and their biases. Yeah, that's correct. That's what they're saying. That's we what don't they're believe saying. That. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Ugh. So now we need to ask about the key themes. So we've got the blurring of boundaries. Well, this is really where it, you know, it, it, it kind of applies the same way. Um, So basically, we have to eliminate the binaries given by the oppressors. So there's no longer just male and female. There's no longer just heterosexual or homosexual. Those people in power did that. We have got to come up with all kinds of sexualities and all kinds of of genders. And objective scientific evidence or biblical evidence is valued equally to subjective experiential evidence. So here's what I mean. If I'm a white man with lots of power and I'm blinded by my own power, then the subjective experience of a minority 
is just as equal and valid as, say, scientific evidence that I vie for as a man in power. I'm blinded by my own power. I can't see the truth, so I need to submit to the subjective experiences of someone in the oppressed class who the scales have fallen off their eyes and they can see the truth and humbly submit to what they say. Or I'm a transgender and I'm blurring the lines because that's not male or female. Now I'm transgender, I'm this whatever, and you have to accept this because even though you don't, you may say you don't believe that that's true, it doesn't matter. You're blinded. You can't see that's it because right. look at me. Here I am. So and you is, just want power. Uh, yeah. So you just want power, but you have to now accept that transgenderism is true and it's okay and acceptable. And I'm going, first of all, no, I don't believe that. Yeah. And second of all, I'm not going to believe because I'm a Christian and it's, and I don't believe, I believe it's morally wrong. See, this is the conflict. Now y'all see why we're bringing this. this yeah. is, I know this is a lot of stuff, for the, but it's, it's so, there's a practical side of this that ought to be making you go, oh Lord. Cause I know you've been reading stuff. I'm talking about our listeners. Yeah. You've read stuff, you've watched stuff. And I know it's, it's, it's grieved your spirit. It's, it's raised red flags in your spirit. And you're like, what, what am, what's going on here? We're trying to help you today to see there is, this is serious y'all. That's right. So then we've got the key theme of the power of language. So the postmodern said language is not a, a a good way to communicate the truth. So really in critical theory, scholars will scrutinize language closely and judge it according to their own frameworks. Basically, they're looking for cultural frameworks and biases uh, placed into works, even if the person didn't intend to do it. So for instance, they'll watch films closely for problematic portrayals, even if the themes are largely aligned with social justice. So for instance, this is why people can watch Disney movies that are geared towards kids, um, maybe have like a soft theme of social justice and acceptance. But if they find a character that um, had no intentions of being offensive at all, they will call it out as offensive because they see it as those in power or whatever uh, doing something problematic. All right, so let me give you an example. I'm going through the Disney channel and I got to the nostalgic category and I start flipping through and it's all the old stuff. And they got Davy Crockett. Mm-hmm. Fess Parker played Davy Crockett, right? So I pulled up the info page and I'm just looking, they got a picture and then I look up in the right hand side of the screen and there's this massive paragraph on my TV and I start reading it and it's a disclaimer that this show uh, is has negative things against native American Indians and indigenous people. And it's just, we don't, and it's, and it's the whole critical theory right there on the Disney channel. Yeah. You know, it's just a whole disclaimer. And I'm like, it's Davy Crockett. There were Indians back then. And you know, just, it's entertainment. It's just a story. Yeah. It's just a story. We've been watching it for years. It's just Fess Parker playing Davy Crockett. You know, we watched it for years and it didn't make us think anything. But now Disney has to put a disclaimer, and it's doing this on a lot of stuff. Disney, by the way, is heaped in critical theory, by the way. So for those of you moms and dads who let your kids. So I'm telling you, it's infiltrating your television set. Anyway, go ahead. I got to throw this stuff out here, man. I've been seeing it. I'm seeing it left and right. So then we've got um, cultural relativism, and this is obviously still 
Very relevant. Um, so basically the way we get knowledge and what we believe is because of the dominant narratives, uh, primarily set by straight white Christian Western men tell me what to think and how to think. And the only reason I believe those things is because they want power. And then finally, we've got the loss of the individual and the universal. So there's no universal truths that people should live by. There's no universal rights that everyone has. Um, and the individual is nothing more than uh, various identities and categories. So that one kind of basically stayed the same. So um, this applies. All of these principles we've just laid out apply in various ways. Um, Primarily four or five. Very, very quickly, if you want to go through those very quickly, and then we'll hit what Christianity has to say about it. There's an idea of post-colonialism. So the idea is that we have been, culture has been colonized by those with who are dominant in power, which is primarily straight, white, Western Christian men. Europeans. Yeah. Americans have been to some degree. We yeah. need to break free of the shackles of their uh, cultural colonialism and go our own way because they just wanted to dominate us with our power. So for instance, there's a private high school in New York um, that will no longer reference to Newton's laws of physics as Newton's laws of physics, because they want to decenter from whiteness. The idea is that, you know, white people bad, what, what they, um, what he taught us is bad. And so they're going to call them the three fundamental laws of physics. The entire assertion is that that he has dominated us. Uh, white people have dominated us, uh, culture in general for the sake of power, not for the sake of truth. Uh, and therefore, we need to take that power away from them. Um, very strange. We've got um, what, and this is the proper name for it. This is what they have labeled it. It is called queer theory. And so the idea is that you want to blur the lines of uh, gender and of sexuality. And so the reason we have several genders, the reason we have uh, several sexualities is to challenge the status quo that has been put forth that there are only two genders and uh, really there's a uh, heterosexual, and then the opposite of that would be homosexual. Uh, they would, they want to blur the lines of that, and so that's why you see many different genders and sexualities today. And that's why it went to LGBTQ, and then they put a plus. There's yeah, there's a lot now. So they put a plus. Adding it, but have you ever seen yeah. it? It's LGBTQ plus, yeah. which is the plus. I guess means plus whatever else we come up with. Yep, that's outside of the normal boundaries of what scientifically we've always understood. Very quickly, we've got disability and fat studies. So the idea, and this is where it gets real crazy, that we want to solve people's disabilities is seen as a power grab, that um, you need me to help you, that um, I want to look at you and define your disability as something negative and bad, that I want to have power over you by trying to change you and cure it. And so there are people who would actually see um, medical procedures for healing blindness, uh, for healing deafness as a way to uh, take power from individuals with disabilities who should just own it and uh, and be uniquely them or whatever, which is disgusting. That's crazy. Um, you've got fat studies, and uh, this is the idea that people who advocate for a healthy lifestyle, healthy eating, a proper weight, aren't doing it because science says being obese is bad for your health, uh, aren't doing it because scientists and researchers actually care about the human body and human health and want people to flourish. The idea is there's an inherent, essentially, hatred of fat people, and that 
I want to, as a skinnier person, maintain my power over you. And you can actually see this. You can Google it. There are Cosmopolitan covers. I was going to say the Cosmopolitan covers. I was going to say that. Very clearly obese women. And then the big title is, This is Healthy. The New Healthy. And what it is, is it's a reaction against science, which is seen as a power grab for men. It's a reaction against skinny people trying to maintain power over them, males trying to maintain power over women. Um, It's so skeptical that it will reject the facts that being overweight is extremely bad for your health and will instead exclaim, this is healthy. I don't have to listen to your categories. So so I'm going to pause right here because what I'm seeing as a man of God and as a pastor as a preacher of the gospel and a preacher of the word, what I keep seeing is this is just another attempt to try to justify that which is bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much talking about obesity here, but these other things, even though obesity is bad for your health. Yeah. But it just seems we've got to come up with ways to justify. We're going to force you to accept what we want, what we believe, what we're doing, which for those of us who are believers, especially when you get into queer theory and you get into racism, and it's some of these things that, you know, it's like, well, you know, because we don't believe in racism. But what they're going to do and turn it on is, it's like, uh uh-uh, you know, but that's why there's a conflict for the child Mm -hmm. of God here because it's it's just an attempt, an attack to, to make you somehow submit and yield what you know is right. And this is an issue for us. That's right. So let's lastly hit critical race theory, and then let's see how Christianity applies to this. Um, according to prominent critical race scholars, quote, the question is not how did racism manifest in that situation, end quote, because we are, and this is just writing, we are to assume racism is always taking place. That's why they had that quote. We are to assume it's always taking place. So the question is not how. Racism manifest. Um, quote, all members of society are socialized to participate in the system of racism, albeit in varied social locations, end quote. Quote, all white people benefit from racism regardless of intentions, end quote. Quote, racism must be continually identified, analyzed, and challenged. No one is ever done, end quote. Quote, the racial status quo is comfortable for most whites. Therefore, anything that maintains white comfort is suspect, end quote. Quote, resistance is a predictable reaction to anti-racist education and must be explicitly and strategically addressed, end quote. These are all taken from between principles and practice, tensions and anti-racist education. Those are from critical race theory scholars. So let's review. They basically said, how did racism uh, manifest in that situation is the wrong question. Why? Because we are to assume that if you are in power, and particularly if you're white, everything you do intentionally or unintentionally, going back to postmodern principle, is to maintain power and to be racist. Um, They said that all members of society are socialized to participate in a system of racism. So basically, naturally within us, within our society, everyone, no matter what, is taught to be racist and participate in a system of racism, which means regardless of my intentions or my beliefs, I'm being racist. Um, All white people benefit from racism regardless of intentions. That's what they said. Um, 
that racism is so uh, pervasive that even if I don't believe it, even if I fight against it, I apparently benefit from it. Um, they said that racism has to continually be identified, analyzed, and challenged. No one has ever done. This means racism can't go away. It's in us. It is is an inherent part of our society. It is the original sin, and it and it the job is never done. Uh, uh, Vadi Bakum, who again is a black man, said it's not only the original sin; it's the unpardonable sin. That's right. That's what he's and he's being. Of course, he's mocking. He said it's the they're making it the unpardonable sin. It'll never. You can't be pardoned from it. You can't ever go away. And and then he said it's not. It's they're making it the original sin. Of course, it's not. The yep. fall of Adam is original sin, so they're they're all. Okay. But anyway, yeah, they basically said you know uh, the racial status quo is comfortable for most whites. So if anything, basically white comfort is suspect, um, which is extremely cynical and vague. Um, they said resistance is a predictable reaction to anti-racist education that has to be addressed. So if you look at their theories and react against it, it's not because their theories are bad. It's because you're probably wrong. racist. Yeah. yeah. It's not that, yeah, it's not that their theories are wrong. It's that you're, you're a racist. So basically it's important to note racism for them is not defined as believing another race is inferior. Cause that's the classic definition of racism. Mm-hmm. And, and Vadi Bakum does this in his book. He says, if you look up, Webster's and and the Britannica encyclopedia. He said the classic understanding of racism is that you think that that you are superior to someone else of their race. So a black man could think he's superior to a white man, a white man to a race, a Mex- a Hispanic could say I'm superior to a, a black man or a, mm-hmm. a white person. It's just saying my I'm superior to that race. That's the classic understanding of racism. And theory would state that it's a culturally constructed system of power in which white people do all that they can unconsciously to harm non-white people. So basically it makes racism nearly unidentifiable, but anyone who feels oppressed and basically it provides no hope for the person being accused. So it's not if, if you legitimately hate a different race or view them inferior, uh, which results in your actions change. It's no matter what, even if you scream and cry and say, I, I am not racist or anything. And for some people, it's not even enough to marry someone of an opposite race. It doesn't matter. Unknowingly, you do all that you can to take power from them and oppress them. Because of my melanin, because I'm, because I have white skin, then I'm automatically a racist. That's exactly. what these people are saying. Okay. Um, basically the idea is not to see all people as created equal, but to believe others when they say you are racist because they have a unique position as the impressed, uh, oppressed. Remember the standpoint epistemology. Epistemology just means how we get the truth. Because they are oppressed, they have unique access to the truth we don't. So if they say that you're oppressing them, you have to believe them. And you need to surrender your power in whatever way they demand. This is not Martin Luther King Jr. This is not civil rights movement of the 60s. This isn't about equality. It's a fictional idea of power woven into society that apparently only the oppressed can see and identify, and we just have to believe them. Um, so it's it's a major issue. I know that took a while. I hope that that at least helped you see it before we address it in a Christian way. We Maybe we have to do two episodes of this, but... I mean, I'm like almost flabbergasted. I mean, I'm like, when I read that, I'm looking at going, who, who could buy into this nonsense? Yeah, because I don't, I, again, I, I don't think any of those things. And as a, and as a child of God and as a preacher of the gospel, uh, I know there's racism 
I know there's sin. There's all kinds of sin, okay? But it's sin. All right. So I think we could do this. I think we can. I think we could tackle this. Yeah. So let me let me just we'll get away from the notes and let me ask you some questions. So why? I'm going to ask you, Evan. Yeah. Why, as a child of God, we got people listening that are born again believers. These are they're smart people. They're rational people. Why should we not embrace at all critical theory? Um. So one at its roots. This is an epistemological issue. So epistemology just has to deal with how we get the truth. How we get the truth. There's a direct contradiction. So basically critical theory states that anyone in a position of power is blinded by their power and does everything they can to keep their power. Uh, And then those who are oppressed have unique insight into the truth. And then remember, most things you can't even know the objective truth on. It's only those tiny categories. As a Christian, we wholesale reject that. Um, we believe that the scriptures are the truth, that God wants to save everybody, that he has objectively revealed his truth in the scriptures, that historically he's objected, objectively revealed his truth in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus Christ, and that uh, God has come for us all to know the truth. The fact that there is a God means there is an objective truth. And the fact that he has promised to reveal himself means that truth means that truth is revealed. Critical theory basically says if you're in a position of power, you can't know it. You just can't. You're so blinded. That, so that's why, as a child of God, right there, number one, I, I can't take critical theory. That's right. Critical theory is anti-Christian. It's anti-Bible. It's anti. It's anti-God. It's directly accusatory, and what it does is it just dismisses. It it, uh, it judges and it points the finger and accuses people with no evidence thereof. Right. So it plays out. You've probably heard this before. We'll get practical now. You say something like, "I believe homosexuality is a sin." Well, what can critical race theory do? They don't care what the Bible says. They're looking at you in a position of power, so they just say, "Yeah, that's just because you hate gay people." You're right. threatened by them. Uh, uh, you could say abortion is murder. Well, they don't care what science says. They reject science. Uh, they don't care what the scriptures say. You just want power. So they say, well, that's just because you want to control women's bodies. You've probably heard that one before. You could say something like the husband should be the head of the household. Well, you just want to main pa- maintain power. So they'd say, well, that's just because you want to uphold the patriarchy. Everything becomes cynical. Everything becomes looking past your motive and judging you and saying, uh, you're, a, you're a bad person, a priori. Just yeah. because they don't look at your heart, they don't know they don't know who you are. It's nope. just you're categorized, you're classified, and but we don't do that. We t- each person is made in the image of God. When you're saved, you're born again, you're changed, you become a new creature. It doesn't matter what you used to be. I mean, I I went fishing uh, one time with a young man in our church who confess he got saved. He's been here gloriously saved. Then this guy lives right. He serves God's on our on our part of our worship praise ministry. I mean, this young man just lives for the Lord. He's mm-hmm. a, he's a, he's got children. Um, he told me he said I was a racist. I said really? He said oh. He said I was a racist. I said why? He said didn't have a reason. He said just influenced by other people. I said what happened? He said I got saved. He said I got saved, and I said so what? He said well I realized first of all it was wrong. Yeah. He said just Jesus saved me, and I realized I can't. I can't hate people just because of the color of skin. That's and right. He, and then we mentioned Terrence Ford. He said, then he said, I'm at church with Pastor Terrence, and Pastor Terrence also ministers our young adults. He said, now he's pastoring me. He said, 
I can't hate Pastor T. You know what he said? He said, it just changed everything yeah. in me. He said, I'm not like that anymore because right. Jesus Christ delivered me from it. I don't see color anymore. I don't have hatred in my heart. That's what we believe as believers, that mm-hmm. it is a sin of the individual. That's right. Not every individual, but that God, when you do have it, just like any other sin, cheating, lying, stealing, whatever, pride, the arrogance, bitterness, that the power of the Holy Ghost can deliver you. Man, I feel the Lord right now. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling that anointing. He can deliver you. That's why we cannot even go in the direction of critical theory because it would just invalidate. It destroys hope as well. Well, it invalidates everything that we preach and believe yeah. that there is a problem, but it's an individual problem, but it can't, like, there you get back to the hope. It can be solved. It, you can yeah. be delivered. You can be changed. You know, you're not going to change the world through critical theory or teaching it in a school to kids. You're going to make things worse. Yeah. No, we need to teach. Why, why don't we teach the Bible? If we're going to teach critical theory, why don't we just open up and teach the Bible then? It's amazing. They won't let us teach the Bible in school, but they'll get some crazy whacked out curriculum and they're going to let that happen. You don't let that happen in your school systems, parents. Yeah. Stand up and fight against it because if they won't let the Bible in, then why are you going to let this in? I'm just, it it frustrates me. Do I sound frustrated? You do sound frustrated. Yeah, Christianity gives hope that there's deliverance, uh, there's salvation that you can change where uh, critical theory would say, no, you're uh, by your inherent whiteness or your whateverness. Always going to be this way. Too bad. So another thing is that critical theory creates a division where Christianity creates unity. So critical theory naturally groups people into two divisions. You're either the oppressor or the oppressed. That's all you got. There's no reconciled. There's no middle ground. There, there's no, well, we've come together. And you can't get out of one into the other. Not really. Not really. Unless, I mean, maybe maybe as a white man, if I went to like Africa or something, but even then, I feel like a lot of these folks would find a way for me to colonize or be the oppressor yeah, still. I mean, honestly, just, you don't even try to go down that <laughs> yeah. way. There's, there's no way. There's no way. In Christianity, you say, well, y'all have categories. We do. We have sinners and saints, but you can move from the sinner to be in a saint. And that's what we want everybody to do because sin is a bondage and it's horrible and it's terrible and it's an oppression. You're in a category of oppression, but it's not by humans. It's oppression by the devil, by sin, by death. But Jesus came to deliver us. Yeah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I, mean, I feel the Holy Ghost. I got to settle down. The <laughs> spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to deliver the captive, set the captives free. Jesus sets us free from oppression so that we can be somebody in Christ. That's right. And in Christianity, we see three primary ways that we are actually all united together. One, we're all made in the image of God. Right. That we have this unity and that we're made to reflect God, reflect his moral character, to be stewards of his good kingdom. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. We are equal and made in his we image. We are all made in the image of God. That's part of what we believe as Christians. Two, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same problem we are all sinners. The problem with critical theory is it carries with it this connotation that if you're in the oppressed, you're naturally in the good group. You're the good guy. Almost in a way like you can do no wrong because you're oppressed. And then the oppressor is you, you're the ones who's, do, who's doing wrong unceasingly all the time. Mm-hmm. The scriptures tell us we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all wrong. 
none of us love God and none of us love our neighbor as we should. And we are all in need of salvation, no matter what class you believe yourself to be into. And so you are in this boat together. And then finally, we find our unity in our common redemption, which is Jesus Christ, and that we put Christ on and there's no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. There is just Christ, and he is the way, the truth, the life. He is our way to salvation, and we are united under him. And so critical theory allows no room for unity, and Christianity gives us unity, two sources of unity before salvation, and then our primary primary source, which is Christ, after salvation. There is true reconciliation to be had. Um, critical theory, if it creeps into the church, it will destroy the unity that the Bible teaches so clearly. If I'm constantly pointing fingers, if I constantly think those people are doing everything they can to oppress me, there's no way you can be reconciled to someone you think is your adversary. This is what the Bible teaches. Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 22. It's a lot, but just listen. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed unregulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access and one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone and him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord and him. You are also being being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. And he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. That's right. So if you want to talk about two groups, one felt oppressed, one was probably the oppressor, which were the Romans, Yeah. okay, which were Gentiles. You want to talk about two groups that hated each other. If you want to talk about racism, where both groups despised the other race, that was real racism. Yep. Okay? It was pure and it was deep. And yet God did the unthinkable is he took people out of both of those groups and he saved them and washed them in the blood of Jesus and brought them into this thing called the church. That's right. See, the church is contrary to anything critical theory says. We're the, we're the antithesis of critical theory because we take people and we through Christ, Christ reconciles them. And, and, and he brings reconciliation where That's they want right. to keep constant agitation. Christ brings permanent reconciliation and we become mm-hmm. brothers and sisters in one body and we become the body of Christ. See, the church says, doesn't matter what color your skin, doesn't matter if you're male, female, doesn't matter if you're young or old, we're the body of Christ. You're my, it's kind of like I talked about our church earlier. You're my brother, you're my sister. That's right. So it's, it, well, that's what I'm saying. We cannot, it, 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 it violates, critical theory violates everything that we believe and the Bible says 
The like, Bible says he's torn down the wall of hostility and critical theory builds it up. Well, there was in the temple, there was a wall where the Gentile worshipers even who tried to worship God had to stay in the outer court. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get to where the Jews were. They didn't even worship with Jews. Yeah. That's where Jesus went and cleaned the temple. They were in the court of the Gentiles and turned it into Gentiles a- Gentiles couldn't even worship. They couldn't even worship. They turned it into a market. Yeah. Jesus cleaned house. Yep. So- yeah. So what else? Why why else is it incompatible? Let me read this scripture just to help us too. Galatians 3, 27 through 28. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. All right. Uh, I just like that scripture a lot. That's really good. Um, critical theory hates when someone has all the power. <laughs> Obviously, we keep saying that, yeah. <laughs> and Christianity is built on one guy who is God, who has all the power. Omnipotent, <laughs> omnipotent, all power, all my El Shaddai, almighty. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, we don't have to dwell on that long, but it's pretty clear God has all the power and we submit to his power. We do, that's part of it. Um, critical theory has morality all out of whack. So critical theorists think that something is wrong for an, imp- for that something that is wrong for an oppressor isn't necessarily wrong for someone in the oppressed group. So here's an example. When the New York Times hired the columnist Sarah Young, numerous tweets surfaced where she made derogatory and racist comments about white people. So then Zach Beauchamp from Vox wrote, quote, the underlying power structure in American society, end quote, is what differentiates these tweets from, quote, actual racism, end quote. Basically, because the woman was Asian and she not got white, her racism isn't real racism. So she got a pass. It gives a pass to people to that if you are in the oppressed group, you can do sinful things, and it's not counted as sinful because of the group you've placed yourself in. And we don't do that. We say cross the board, sin is sin, right sin is, is right, sin. wrong, wrong. If you do wrong, it doesn't matter what the color skin. Since I'm saying it, these these man-made categorizations are are detrimental to society yep. and that's why the church has got to more than ever stand up and say no we Jesus said I I am the way the truth and the life that's right that's right so really that kind of covers um how Christianity so strongly conflicts I mean can't go with it it absolutely can't unless you've got anything else we need to talk about what is our positive response <laughs> What do we do now as Christians? Uh, well, what I it, it, here's the thing. N- number one, don't buy into this. Don't buy into this. You're going to hear it. You're going to keep hearing more and more. You're going to see it in the news. Critical theory. Don't buy into it. Okay, that's number one. No, it, it it does not jihad with with what you believe as a child of God. It is the antithesis of what you believe. Okay. Number two, I'd be on alert if they try to start bringing in the art, your school system. You need to fight that tooth and nail. You need to call your your county council. You need to call the school board, your, your representatives. You need to be there in person and you need to fight that, okay? There, there are people losing their jobs because they're fighting it. Mm-hmm. Their professors as well as teachers are losing their jobs because they're standing up saying, We're not, this is wrong. We're not going to teach this. But that's the price that's got to be paid. Okay, so that's the third thing. Third is, I, th- I think that that we, especially on the racism, because critical critical theory involves critical race theory, is make sure you don't have racism in your heart. 
I'm real gonna, racism. I'm gonna be the, real racism. Yeah. I'm gonna be the preacher right now and say if you got if you have if you don't like people because of the color of your skin, you got an issue because the Bible says there is no partiality with God. And the Bible says he created us all from one blood. That's mm-hmm. in the Bible. Yeah. God looks past the skin color and looks at the blood. Everybody's blood's red last time I checked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unless you're a Martian, then it's green, I hear. <laughs> okay. So if you got racism, you need to repent. Okay. If there's racism in your church, okay, you need to repent. If there's, if, if there's, you know, you're saying, look around your church and says, all our people in our church are white and, and, and nobody from color can come in your church or everybody in my church is black. Nobody can come in my church or all my, everybody in my church is Latino. You, you, you might want to just back up a minute and say, what, what is there, is there, is it just because that's a cultural thing or whatever, or is there a deeper issue here? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's some things. Uh, what about you? Yes, I would say two things. And, and I think you really kind of already touched it. Like fight for justice. We don't have to be scared of that word. Fight for justice. Christians have been doing it. Um, what's his name? Wilberforce. Um, yeah, he stopped slavery in, in, in Great Britain. In Great, Great Britain. Uh, we we have a history of that, you know. Um, you know, the civil rights movement of the 60s had a lot of preachers backing that, fighting for the truth. Um all kinds of things. I mean, people fought for equality, and, and we should do it too, but you do it by biblical principles. Yes, what is true biblical justice? Can it align with critical theory? If it can't, what does the Bible actually say? And let's make sure there's equality for all based on who God says that we are. So that's, that's true. And then two, let's keep the gospel central. Yes. And here's what I mean. Too many people engage in activism because it makes them feel morally superior than other people. So they think, and this is where critical theory becomes a religion. They think they're declared righteous as long as they publicly oppose the things they need to oppose. And as long as they go to the right rallies, as long as they uh, post the right things on their Instagram, they think that they will be forgiven and accepted. Because the problem is, is maybe you've heard the term the mob. The mob will come after you if they think they've done the wrong thing. The truth is that the people in power are uh, the major corporations who all support these things pretty pretty loudly. It's Hollywood. It's things like that. And uh, and if you're in that minority, they'll come for you. And so the way to be forgiven and absolved of your sins and accepted into the critical theory community. You're, you're being you're being sarcastic. I now. mean, yeah, exactly. Like the the way to to receive those things and enter into that religion is to stand up, condemn the right things, uh, go to the right rallies and whatever, because it makes you feel like I'm better than everybody else. But the truth is this, is that you aren't better than everybody else. You're a sinner like everybody else, and you need to keep the gospel central, which is that we are forgiven by Christ alone because we are all sinners. You are not forgiven by your good works or by your uh, opposition to the right things. We've all sinned. And that's why critical theory is a religion of works. That's right. It is a religion of works. And, and, And there's no rest from it. There's no rest. You can never be finally absolved from your sins. You can't get rid of the original sin of racism or sexism or whatever ism that you happen to fall into. If it's inherent in your nature and it can't be washed away like our original sin can uh, through Christ, then you're always a sinner and you're always working to try and do enough and you never can. Right. And thank God we have the truth. It really is the truth. It comes from God, not from man. It comes from God and it's a truth that'll set people free. That's right. And it'll set anybody free. And Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Yeah. <laughs> Andre Crouch had it right, who was a black man. Yes. One of my favorite uh, songwriters and singers. I, man, I used to have his albums and sing. He blessed me so many times. God used him to minister to me, and we sang one of his songs Sunday at our church. 
because uh, they're so good, man. They stand the test of time, but Jesus is still the answer. And, right. uh, and, and that's why we've got to stay true to what we know, to what we believe, and just know that this is another, I think it's demonic. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go so far as a, as a pastor and a preacher to say it's demonic. I think critical theory is demonic. I think it comes from the pits of hell because it is so anti-God and anti-Bible. And, uh, and we've got to be on guard against it and then understand that the world, these things come and go, but the church presses on. Uh, and the and Jesus is in charge and in control, and He's coming back one of these days. And I think all this is just the world moving in that direction of evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But uh, we're, the righteous got to hang on. And I think these are just signs of the times that Jesus is coming back. That's right. He can come back today. It'd be all right with me. No, How no, about you? Uh, let's go. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you enjoyed this. Uh, Maybe this challenge to you is a little bit different, um, but we really felt like it was relevant. Uh, If you have any more questions or anything like that, shoot us a DM at our uh, High Praises Church Instagram or whatever, um, however you want to get in contact with us. And then, as always, give us a rating, like, share, subscribe, share it with somebody that needs it, and we'll see you back in a couple of weeks. 